Hallelujah. Whew. I tell you, I didn't get the short end of the stick. <laughs> I didn't get the short end of the stick. Donna's amazing. I love her so much. I love her so much. I love talking to y'all. I love each and every one of y'all and having this opportunity and privilege to talk about Father's Day. Ever wonder why Father's Day wasn't in the middle of football season? I guess they had to put it somewhere. Crawfish season is just as good. <laughs> Today's service, we're going to talk about honoring our fathers, our spiritual fathers, and our fathers-to-be. And the duties of a father goes far beyond the biological connections. It goes into character. It, it goes in, into calling. It goes into impartation. It goes into identity. It speaks of a class of men that's willing to die to themselves, to put others' needs in front of their own and to put their needs behind. It speaks of men who's willing to leave a legacy for the next generation to come. It speaks to a class of men that's willing to pass a baton. You know, we're all going to pass a baton to the next generation. And if we pass that baton efficiently, then that next generation will be able to run that race with skill and efficiently. But if we fumble on the baton, then it's going to be hard for them to pick it up and to run with it and finish the race. And the roles of fatherhood also speaks to a class of men that want to be a keeper of the flame. In ancient tribes and ancient traditions, they would designate a man in the tribe that would sit with their most precious commodity, the fire. He would sit with the fire and feed it all night and protect it and make sure the wind doesn't blow it out and the water doesn't, the rain doesn't put it out. He would feed that flame. He was the keeper of the flame. His, his job was critical. It was vital because fire was a precious commodity because, you see, fire would protect the tribe. It would provide protection from enemies, from predators and beasts. It would also provide a source that they could cook with that they could clean with, that they could work with. It would actually promote the tribe to the next level, just fire. So, so they would pick this man as the keeper of the flame. And when we accept the role of fatherhood, that's what we're doing. We're accepting that, that responsibility to keep the flame burning. What it means to be a father can be crucial. It can be vital. It's monumentous. And, and what it means to be a father for both males and females is critical it, because nowadays we have so many females that are actually acting as fathers because there are so many families without fathers. So if you're here tonight, I commend you. If you're listening on audio file and you're a single mother, I commend you. And I pray for you that God would give you and uphold you everything that you need to equip you, enable you to raise your children because that's, that's a vital thing. It's critical for the generation to come. You know, whether male or female, we have to lean on the Holy Spirit. I thank God that I didn't have to use all of my wisdom and all of my knowledge because it lacks. It has so many voids. But I can lean when I'm raising my kids, and still today, they're, they're not kids. They're 26 years old, 27 years old, 24 years old. But they still come to me, Daddy, what about this? And I can lean on the Holy Spirit because Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, you can put it up. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he'll direct your paths. So he, he's our helper. He, he gives us the knowledge, the wisdom, the, the help, the words to say when we fall short of our own abilities. You know, I find Father's Day is one of the least celebrated days of observance, observance that we have. We have Mother's Day and Valentine's Day and Christmas. And when you go eat on those days, it could be an hour or two hour wait. You go to restaurants like Camille's and Saltgrass, Not Your Mama's, all of those restaurants, it could be an hour and two hour wait. Some of those restaurants even are, go to like by reservation only to get an appointment to go and eat. Even McDonald's, 
the line goes around the building twice and all the way to the road. I mean, even McDonald's. But on Father's Day, on Father's Day, you can go into those restaurants and you can just walk right in and eat anytime, anywhere. So what, what's up with that? Seriously, I'll tell you what's up. 30 million children are growing up in homes without a father, without a role model, without a mentor. 30 million of them. Men, we need to man up. The title of this message tonight is Let's Man Up. Because we need to rise up, we need to stand up, we need to go to the next level. And I promise I'm not going to bash the men tonight. This is to encourage you. This is to motivate you. This is for, for, this is for not only the fathers, but the fathers-to-be. This is for the people who have had fathers in their lives that may have lacked in certain areas. Or maybe your father was absent completely. This is to fill in the voids. The words that we're talking tonight are to fill in the voids that you may have in your own life. So let's pay close attention. Let's ask God to open our ears and our eyes, our hearts to receive what we have tonight. And I'm just going to pray. Heavenly Father, we just ask you, Lord God, to bless this word, deliver this word. Help me to deliver this word as you showed me this word, Lord God. Lord, let it impact our lives. Let it change us. Let us apply it, Lord God. And let us raise the next generation efficiently, Lord. Let us be godly examples, righteous fathers and men of integrity as we take this and run with it, Father. I want to begin my sermon talking about my dad. My dad passed away November 28th, 2016, two and a half years ago. It'll be three years this year. He was my hero. He was my mentor. He loved me. He believed in me. He was proud of me. He, he was everything. He loved me even when I was unlovable at times. I was hard-headed. I was wayward. Sometimes I was unteachable. But he loved me. He loved me all the way to the end all the way until the day that he stepped into eternity. You know, that exemplifies the love of the Father. That exemplifies God's love to us, an unconditional love. In fact, I believe George Strait said it good when he said, Daddies don't just love their children every now and then. It's a love without end. Amen. It's a love without end. That's the love of a father. My dad protected me when I was afraid. A lot of times I would be afraid when I was younger growing up, even older sometimes, and he would say, don't worry about it. Don't worry. It's going to take care of itself or I'll take care of it. So he gave me the courage to move on. He provided for me when I was in need, when I was young and in need, when I was a teenager in need, when I was in my 20s in need. Thank God that I started functioning on my own, but even, even in the later years, whenever I was in need, I knew that dad was there for me, just like I'm there for my kids. I do everything I can to provide for my kids until they can stand on their own, because that's what fathers do. He gave me encouragement when I wasn't confident enough in my own abilities. And there was times that he was tough on me. And it was most of the time he was tough on me. You see, my dad was a sergeant in the Marine Corps, so he raised me with discipline. He raised me like I was in the Marine Corps sometimes, but it instilled discipline, work ethic, character into my life, and I thank God for that. All of this he done, all of this he did to promote me to the next level, to advance me in life, to move me to the next step because he loved me. He was also my spiritual influence. My dad was priest of the home. He was a king and a priest. He laid hands on me and prophesied of the potential that I would have as a man. He spoke into existence the man I was to become. Not only did I have an amazing earthly father, but I had wonderful spiritual fathers. And I want to talk about them tonight, too, because they imparted so much into my life. 
when we have spiritual fathers, we glean wisdom, we glean, glean knowledge, character, perspective, insight, and identity from our spiritual fathers and our, our earthly fathers as well. The, the first spiritual father I had was Pastor Lloyd DeLatte. Word of Life Church in Donisonville. I got saved under his ministry. I was 14, 15 years old. He was the first man to ever lay hands on me. That sounds weird if you're not a Christian. <laughs> but he was the first man to ever pray for me and really pray with me and lead me to the Lord. He, was, he instilled so much love in my heart because he was like a big teddy bear. He loved everybody just like Chris says. All you have to do is love them. All you have to do is love them. And God starts to just flow. So he instilled a heart of love into me. And then also I started playing drums under his ministry. I started in, in praise and worship. After a few years, my parents left that church and they started going in Plaquemine to Ted Robinson. So I went over with them eventually. And Pastor Ted Robinson took me under his covering and started fathering me and speaking to me. And I started playing music there also. And that's where I met Pastor Butch LeBove. Pastor Butch was a, a assistant pastor, and he was also the praise and worship leader. So that's where I got to know Pastor Butch. So Pastor Ted and Pastor Butch started speaking into my life. And then all the way up until Pastor Ted passed away, you know, it's the hardest thing in the world to watch a pastor pass away or step on into eternity. It's very hard because he was like a father to me. And it made me appreciate the men of God who spoke into my life. After Pastor Ted, there was a pastor called Pastor Sammy Smith. He was an interim pastor. Chris, interim doesn't mean you're not a pastor. Interim just means you are a pastor. Same thing, you're pastoring. Interim pastor. I got so much from Sam, Pastor Sammy Smith. He was a missionary in Russia. And he would come and tell us all of the stories of on the mission field. And it, it stirred up a spirit of evangelism in my heart, listening to all the stories of people getting saved, people getting healed, people getting touched, lives being changed, just like Chris was sharing. It stirred up something inside of me. So everyone that was in my life stirred up something different. Then after Sammy Smith, while Pastor Sammy Smith was there, we decided we had exhausted all the resources that we could. We needed to do something to touch the rest of the community, but we didn't have any more resources. So we decided to give the church to Bethany, Bethany World Prayer Center. So we became Bethany's first campus. We became Bethany West. They had Bethany North and Baker, and we became Bethany West. We were their first campus. And then at that time, Pastor Roy and Pastor Larry was coming in, and Pastor Chuck Stearns came in. And I was with Pastor Chuck Stearns. And then after Pastor Chuck Stearns, it was Pastor Darrell Jack. And then I moved back with Pastor Butch LeBeau, where I am today, under his covering, under his covering. All were spiritual fathers. All were friends. All were mentors in my life in the course of my spiritual walk. All of them spoke volumes into my life. I drew close to them. And they revealed the secrets of life to me. They taught me how to love, <clears throat> how to live in peace and joy. They taught me how to be good stewards of my finances, of my family, of my ministry, of my marriage. You know, I remember one time I was with Pastor Chuck, and I said, Pastor Chuck, how do you do it? You have such a busy life. You're always running here and there, but you have the best marriage that I know. He had a wonderful marriage. He loved his wife so much. Sister Rosie was the apple of his eye. I mean, they had an amazing marriage. And what he told me blew my mind. And I'm going to tell it to y'all. I'll share it with y'all tonight. He said, what you said is right. He said, I'm very busy, always running back and forth. There's always things to do as a pastor, especially as the pastor of Bethany, because they had him so many irons in the fire. But he said, the time that I spend with Rosie is quality time. He said, what we have is a mutual exclusivity club meeting. And that just blew your mind, right? Mutual exclusivity club meeting. I was like, huh? What is that? 
He said, what we do is we mutually agree to exclude everything, ministry, kids, house, bills, finances. We exclude everything. We mutually agree to exclude everything in our little club. And we meet and we talk. We talk about each other. We talk about our relationship. We say, how am I doing as a husband? On a scale of 1 to 10, how am I doing as a husband? Are you secure in every area? Do you feel safe in every area? Is there anything that I can do better? Deep things, deep things, not superficial, deep things in the relationship. That spoke volumes to me, and it helped me to be the husband that I am today. How am I doing on a scale of 1 to 10? <laughs> now, that's the thing. You've got to be honest. If your husband asks you that, you have to be honest. You can't just do like Donna and say, 20. She might mean it. <laughs> but it took, God placed many men in, in, in close proximity of me. You could say it took a community of pastors to raise me <laughs> to, to where I am now. But God blessed me, and God will do that to anybody. I b believe that God was preparing me for my destiny. And if you're faithful, and if you're available, and if you're teachable, and if you're humble, and if you're obedient, God will do that for you. Men, I'm speaking to you. There's men all around that want to speak volumes into your lives. And all you have to do is draw close to them, and they'll begin to reveal the secrets of life to you. God will place prominent people in your path to prepare you to be successful in your destiny. All we have to do is be aware. We have to be aware and we have to desire to be ministered to. We have to desire to be under their covering. We have to desire to have a spiritual father. Billy Graham said, a good father is one of the most unsung, unpraised, unnoticed, and yet one of the most valuable assets in our society. God will provide a father in your life to lead you, to guide you, to comfort you, to show you how to live life and how to love you. We have to look to Jesus. Men, I'm speaking to you. We have to look to Jesus. Men look to Jesus and boys look to men. So we have to look to Jesus. My dad and my spiritual fathers, they showed me a lot. But they didn't tell me how to live. They lived life and I watched them live. I watched them live the life and I gleaned so much. We have to be godly examples for the generation coming up underneath us. And let's not forget about our Heavenly Father. God sent His own Son, Jesus. God could have sent angels. He could have sent a prophet. But He sent His only Son, Jesus, to be a father to us, to die for us. Can you imagine how valuable you are to God to send His only Son when He could have sent an angel? He could have sent a prophet. He sent His only Son, when God looks at you, he sees how valuable you are. You're the apple of God's eye because you were redeemed at a high price, at a high cost, the cost of his son coming to earth and being persecuted and tormented and put to death. So tonight I want to share five foundational principles, five easy foundational principles that we can apply to our lives to be better fathers, to be better husbands, actually. Also, we can apply it both ways. And I'm speaking to the fathers. I'm speaking to the men. I'm speaking to the ladies who are single moms. I'm speaking to the guys who are not a father yet but going to be a father. And honestly, I'm speaking to everybody because we never know who's looking at us, whose eyes are looking at us to be spiritual mothers or fathers in our lives because this can actually be applied both ways. But we're going to apply it to the fathers because this is Father's Day weekend. So the first principle that is found in a father is a father should be a protector. A father should be a protector. 
Fathers are protective because they're concerned about your well-being. They're concerned about your well-being. Sometimes to the point where they even get on our nerves. I remember my dad. He would always call me and say, who you with? Where you going? How you going to get home? When you coming home? What time you going to be home? Where you at? You know, almost to the point where it would get on your nerves. But I knew that as long as I was under my dad's roof, I was going to be put through this scrutiny, be vetted every day as long as I was under. But I appreciated it because I knew he loved me. I knew that he, was, he had his best interest in mind for me. So I appreciated it. Also, because I wanted to eat his food and use his vehicle, and I didn't want to sleep on a park bench. So I knew as long as I was under his roof, I had to go by his rules. I remember one day I was in the park, and my phone rang, and it was my spiritual father, Pastor Butch. And I answered it. He said, hey, where you at? What you doing? I'm like, golly, you know, another father. But if it wasn't for that one phone call, I wouldn't be standing here today. It was that one phone call. I thank God that I was fathered. I thank God that he sent men in my life that would go and be obedient to a little tug on their heart and say, hey, I'm going to call Carl and see where he's at and what he's doing. Because if it wouldn't be for the time that he spent with me after that phone call, I wouldn't be here. Much is owed and appreciated to our spiritual fathers and our biological fathers. You know, my dad probably could have been a detective. He probably could have doubled as a private investigator. He could always find me, no matter where I was at, no matter what I was doing. In fact, sometimes I would get home and he would say, you know, God showed me that. And I knew, oh, man, I'm in for it. Now, I couldn't get away with anything. I couldn't get away with anything. And between him and my mom, I knew they heard from God. And what they were saying was probably true. But, you know, God told out on me. <laughs> I mean, I couldn't get away with anything. But one thing for sure. One thing for sure. My dad ran our family well. He was a leader. He was the king and he was the priest. He was a leader in our family. In fact, in Revelations 1, 5 and 6, we'll look at it. It says, to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood, he has made us kings and priests to God the Father. To him be the glory and dominion forever. We're called to be kings and priests. We're called to be kings and priests. Also in Ephesians 5.22, you don't have to pull it up. But it, when, when, when Paul was talking about how the man is over the woman like Christ is head of the church, this is an, another picture of how we should be priests of our home. Just as the man is over the woman and, and Christ is over the church, that connection that we have to the father. And if there's no man in her life, then she is connected to the pastor that's connected to God. That connection, it talks about our priestly connection. Same thing, same picture. Everything my dad did was a sign of his adequacy of stewardship in my life. Everything that he did, he did good. And I really truly believe that when we get to heaven, we'll be accountable for the things that we do here on earth. We'll be accountable for how well we took care of our family, how well we took care of our wives, how well we provided for our children. We'll be held accountable to God because that's our delegated responsibility. My dad protected us from enemies. He protected us from trouble. He protected us from stress because he was a protector. He kept everything in place, everything that God appointed him to be responsible for. And I believe that when Dad passed on and went into eternity. I don't think he left any reservations here on earth. I honestly was truly blessed to have a wonderful dad. I had a wonderful dad. And even though he wasn't perfect, in fact, he probably didn't have the finances of some dads. He probably didn't. I know he didn't have the patience of some dads. And he probably didn't raise us like Dr. Spock recommends. 
But to me, he was everything. To me, he was my hero. To me, he was my mentor. He was everything to me. And I owe everything to him. And what he couldn't do, he leaned on the Holy Spirit. And God filled the voids in. God completed by the other spiritual fathers in my life. Some of the things that my dad protected us from, we don't even know about. We didn't know about. You know, a true leader will stand in front and block the attacks of the enemy. And he'll stand and block the winds of adversity that are coming against the father. A true leader will deal with things and never once let you know the things that he dealt with. He'll never once share that because he doesn't want the stress and the burden on the family. And here lies one of the problems of being a father. Most people does, do not recognize their worth until they're gone. They don't recognize the worth. We really never re realize what's being averted from us or what's covering or what's shielding or protecting until it's taken away. Until we have to force and weather the whole storm and what's in front of us. When my father-in-law passed away, he used to cut the grass for me. He did a lot for us. And when he passed away, we realized just how much he was doing. You see, we had 10 acres, and he'd cut it with a push mower. And he enjoyed cutting grass. It kept him strong. But now I got to go, and I got to cut 10 acres of grass. I went and get me a riding mower, <laughs> a big one. I realized, man, father-in-law loved us. When, when it's taken away, we're like, Lord, I didn't know. I didn't know he was doing all of that. A real man is not recognized for his full worth until his departure. And then we have to deal with all that he was protecting us from. All Elisha had to do was worry about pouring water on Elijah's hands. Elijah would do the miracles. Elisha would pour water on Elijah's hands. Elijah's hands. That's all he had to worry about. And when Elijah was taken up in the fiery chariot, Elisha had to run and catch the mantle that was falling down. And then all of a sudden, Elijah had to determine, is the same God that was with my mentor going to be with me in the same capacity that was promised to me? So it was a turning point for Elisha. So what did Elijah do? Elisha took the mantle and he rolled it up and he went back to the bank of the Jordan River and he took the mantle and he swung it and he struck it. And God split the waters in front of him. And he walked across on dry ground. He walked across as his identity was being established before him. He walked across as God was establishing his identity. And when he got back to the other side, you see, there were 50 prophets, 50 sons of the prophets, who when, when Elisha and Elijah initially went across, they were teasing him. They said, don't you know that your leader will be taken up today? And he told them, yeah, I know, shut up. Basically is what he said. The Bible says, yes, I know, be silent. So basically he said, yeah, I know, shut up. So they were teasing him, and he went across. But when he came across, when he came across with his identity that was established and provided by his mentor, and God released the anointing in his life, those 50 sons of the prophets bowed to him. You see, they wasn't teasing him anymore. Identity has to be established before we can proceed into our calling. We have to have identity uh, provided and established. And that brings us to our second principle. I need some water. <laughs> Excuse me just for a second. So identity has to be established and provided for before we can proceed into our calling. And that brings us to our second principle. A father has to be a provider. He has to provide for his family. He provides wisdom, counsel, friendship, perspective, insight, and identity. 
He adds to your life. And your life is fuller and richer because of your father. He's a provider. I'm not talking about giving you just money. He provides wisdom. He provides counsel. He provides friendship. He provides identity. He gives you everything according to your needs. Not your wants, but your needs. When God created man, he created man in his image. God's name, one of God's name is Jehovah Jireh. That's God the provider. God created us to be a giver. God created us to be a provider in his image. We're designed to be a giver as we give to our family. It's in our DNA. It's in our makeup to be a giver and a provider. We have to teach our young men to be providers. Our young men need to learn work ethic. They need to learn job skills. They need to learn how to make money and provide for their family. A lot of young men want to go and get in love and find a relationship before they even get a job. Daddy, I'm in love. Oh, really? Where are you going to live? How are you going to make money? How are you going to pay the bills? But they want relationship, but they need work ethic. They need job. We have to teach that. They need an identity. They, we have to be a godly example that they can glean an identity from. You know, the, the best definition I could find for identity, and there were many definitions for, it says, who we experience ourselves to be or the I that each of us carries within us. A strong leadership example will build solid identity in the followers. And that's our job, to give our children identity. I believe the problem with the, the generation coming up, you see a lot of young men don't really mature until they get 25, 26, 27 years old. And for a long time, I'm wondering, what's going on with these kids? Why are they not maturing until they're 25, 26, 27 years old? They're coming up with a lack of identity. A lack of identity will hinder, is the biggest hindrance for success. Because a lack of identity will cause them to procrastinate. It'll cause them to procrastinate and it'll cause them to be insecure. The lack of identity. Oftentimes, we feel pressure to define ourselves by jobs, by success, by what people say. We define ourselves, that's who we are. But what happens when we fail, not we fail, but we experience failure on the job. We may lose the job. We may lose that favor of someone that we had identity in. All of a sudden, we left to hurry up and find identity in something else. But what about not putting identity in something unstable like that? What if we find our identity in God? What if we put our identity in the Heavenly Father who never changes, who's immutable, who loves us beyond reason, because we're the apple of his eye. We're a royal priesthood, a chosen generation, a holy nation. Oh, peculiar people to him means that we're special. We're valued. We seek identity in him. When we have identity in the heavenly father, the first thing that comes to mind in who we are is we're highly valued and loved. So we have to seek our identity in God. But to seek our identity in God, we have to know how he thinks of us. One of the richest passages in Scripture is found in Ephesians chapter 1. This is when Paul was speaking to the church of Ephesus. And he was saying what a person, a new Christian has, the identity that a new Christian has. Let's read it. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. You've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly place, places. When we become a Christian, when we become a follower of Jesus Christ, he blesses us with every blessing. Just as he chose us in him before the foundations of the world, you were picked, you were chosen. You didn't just fall into this. You didn't just come to him. He chose you before the foundations of the world. That should change the way you think about yourself. You're special. That we should be holy without blame 
before him in love. We're holy. Holy means righteous and set apart to God. We're holy and without blame. When God sees us, he sees the righteousness of Christ. He doesn't see a sinner. He sees the righteousness of Christ in us. This is our identity. This is our identity. It says, having predestined us to the adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself. Jesus is our brother. He sees us on the same level. He sees us as a brother of Jesus. We have an inheritance. According to the good pleasure, it, bring, it brought God pleasure to the praise of the glory of his grace by which he made us accepted in the beloved. It brought God pleasure to adopt us into his family. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, lavished in grace, which he made to abound toward us all in wisdom and prudence. Having made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure which he purposed in himself, that the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in, all, in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and on earth in him. In the fullness of times, when things are wrapping up, when things are coming to the end, we're going to be gathered to Christ. In him also we've obtained an inheritance, an inheritance that's not corruptible. It's in heaven. He, our Father owns the cattle on a thousand hills. We're not poor, illegitimate children. Being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. That we who were first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. In whom also having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. You were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. That means nothing you can do will separate you from the love of God. You were sealed with the Holy Spirit. That's our guarantee. Just as the rainbow was the guarantee that God would never flood the world after the flood. Again, that was his promise, his seal. The Holy Spirit is his seal, and the Holy Spirit helps us. The third principle that a father must possess is he must be a promoter. He must be a promoter. A, a promoter is someone who wants to see someone go to the next level. This should be the father's heart, is to see his family go to the next level. He doesn't want to see his family stagnant and stuck in one place. He wants to see them move forward in, into a different area, into a better area. His number one goal is to see his family advance and to make sure that they're walking in the blessings and the favor of God. This should be his goal, is to always herd them in and make sure that they're walking in the blessings and the favor of God. The enemy fights against us. And a lot of times, the enemy is not only fighting against you, speaking to the fathers. It's a family ordeal. He knows that if he can stop you, he can stop the potential that God placed in your children. So the enemy comes against you. And we need to realize that the enemy comes against us to affect our family. We need to take a stand against the enemy and to stand strong and to combat the enemy as a family. You know, when we come together as a family, the Bible says that one can chase a thousand and two can chase ten thousand. So when we come together as a family, the enemy comes against us in one direction and leaves in seven directions, the Bible says. The enemy comes against us and says, uh-oh, it's not just him and his mom or him and his dad or him and mom. Now they're together as a family and they take off in seven directions. We have power when we come together as a family. We have power in agreement. Just like when we come to church for corporate worship and corporate prayer, there's power in numbers. There's power in agreement when we come in one accord. We need to rise up and tell the devil, not today, devil, not my family, not my family, not today. The fourth principle, the fourth principle we need to have, the first principle was protector, the second 
principle was provider. The third principle was promoter. And the fourth principle is we should be a priest. In the Bible, the man was the priest of the home. This is why God referred to himself as the God of Jacob, the God of Isaac, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God didn't become Isaac's father when Isaac was a child. God became Isaac's God when Isaac was a man. And the same thing with Jacob. God became Jacob's God when Jacob was a man. This is a process of blessing that was passed on from father to son. A father would name this child and spoke into his life because the father was priest of the home. This was what he'd done. When Noah survived the flood, the first thing he did was he built an altar. He got off the boat and he didn't build a house. He built an altar because he was a praying man. And men, I'm speaking to you now. You need to have a prayer life. We need to build some altars. We need to stand and in for our family. We need to pray to God. Our wives and our children look to us for an example of having a godly prayer life and devotional life. I know my kids have heard me numerous times in my room praying to God, interceding to God for their behalf and for our family. Now, women, listen up. Because a lot of women will say, well, that's not my husband. My husband don't pray. Women, listen up. Men don't pray like women. Men don't pray like women. When we come home from work, or we go to mama's house, or we go to grandmother's house, we know when there's a woman that's been praying. We go and she's crying out to the Holy Ghost, speaking in tongues. She prays different. A woman will go to God and say how her day went and how she enjoyed her day. And then she'll tell God the things that's bothering her and the things that she's having trouble with and how things are making her feel. And then she'll tell God the list. You know the list of the kids and the relatives and the family. This family needs salvation and that family member needs salvation. And bless Auntie and Uncle Tom and the whole list. And then after she says all of that, she goes off in tongues for like three hours. And a man, he'll go to God and say, God, you know I need $275 by Thursday. And I'm trusting you for a breakthrough. Amen. <laughs> we need to be praying men. No matter how you pray, just pray. Just pray to God. It doesn't matter how we pray. We just have to pray. We have to pray. We have to turn things over to God. We have to cast our cares on God also. You know, if we don't cast our cares on God, we'll break up, crack up, flash, flip out, go crazy. We can't do it all. A lot of times as men, we want to do it all. We want to carry everything. We want to carry the whole burden. If you don't believe me, watch a man go grocery shopping and it's time to bring the grocery bags in. He got six bags on this arm, eight bags on this arm, three carrying with his teeth. He's going to carry everything in. He's bringing it all in. That's what men do. It's, it's the man's responsibility to carry most of the weight in the family. It's the man's responsibility. That's how it was designed. But we have to turn it over to God. You know, over the years, I always told people, I got big shoulders. I can carry a lot. But I didn't even realize that God was carrying most of the weight. I would tell people, don't worry about the mule. Load the wagon. At work, I would tell them that. You know, don't worry about how much you're putting on me. But God doesn't want us to carry all of it. We have to trust God that he's more than enough to carry his share of the load. And you know when we carry in a lot and we're not trusting God, you know who the rest of the load falls on? When we can't carry it, it falls on our wife. It falls on our kids. It falls on the people around us. We have to carry a lot. Our kids bring us issues. Our family brings us issues. Our co-workers brings us issues. The job's always calling and say, hey, I got issues. Even our parents that are aging gracefully, we have to deal with issues with them. You know, doctor's appointments and bills and things that they get through the mail. So there's a lot of issues. 
First Timothy two eight. First Timothy two eight says, I desire therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. Do you know why God wants us to pray without ceasing? Because problems are going to come without ceasing. We need to continually pray. We need to continually storm heaven because problems are going to come from every area. Problems are going to come without ceasing. So we need to be praying men. We need to build altars, not physically, but lit, you know, spiritually speaking. We need to be praying men because we're going to have to divert problems, redirect problems that are coming to our family. So we need to be aware. It says, to much is given, much is required. To much is, is given. To whom much is given, much is required. That's why I believe that, that men start smoking again. That's why I believe men start drinking again. That's why I believe men start running from God again. It's because they try to carry things that God never intended for them to carry. And if this is speaking to you, if the shoe fits, shake it off because it wasn't intended for you to wear. It wasn't intended. God doesn't want us to carry everything that comes at us. And men, listen to me close. I want to tell you one more thing that God revealed to me just recently. Many men think that the biggest thing standing between them and God is sin. I've thought that for years. I can't get close to God. I've got too much sin in my life. I can't, I can't move to the next level. I have too much sin in my life. Men think the biggest thing standing between them and God is sin. Your sin is not your biggest problem. Your biggest problem is your lack of prayer. My biggest problem was my lack of prayer. My biggest problem now is my lack of prayer. In 2 Corinthians 7, 14, 2 Corinthians 7, 14, it says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray. What? Will humble themselves and pray. And seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sins and I will heal their land. God says, I'll forgive your sins. I'll heal your land. But the biggest problem is you don't pray. You don't pray enough. God says, if you would just pray, I'll deal with your weakness. I'll deal with it. Just pray. Sin is not the biggest problem. Lack of prayer is the biggest problem. Luke eleven nine 9 says, Ask and you shall receive. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened. There's men in here tonight that's been waiting for God to open a door in there for their family. Keep knocking. Keep knocking. Keep seeking. Keep asking. Don't stop knocking. God's going to open the door. But we have to pray. We have to seek God's face and pray. He'll hear from heaven. Forgive our sins and heal our land and heal our families. When I pray for my children, I don't pray as a pastor. When I pray for my children, I pray from the role of a priest because as a priest, God hears my prayer. I'm the priest of the home. So when I pray for my children, I pray from the position of a priest. Numerous miracles. Numerous miracles have came to pass in my family over the years of believing God and serving God and following God. And you know, the enemy still brings up do you know when you do you remember the enemy will say, do you remember when she had a headache and you prayed for her and God didn't heal her? And do you remember when she had a stomach ache and was throwing up and had a stomach virus and you prayed and God didn't heal her? The enemy will bring things like that up. But we got to holler back at the devil. What about when God healed Donna from MS? What about when God healed the recluse bite that had a line going up to the heart and we prayed and it was going instantly? What about when God healed my son of Tourette's 
and OCD and ADHD and he was borderline autistic and they said he would never function in a normal environment but he graduated from a magnet school and now he's teaching music education at a music academy. Take that, devil. Take that, devil. My mom was dying in the, in, in the hospital. She had had a procedure done. Before she went into the procedure, she said, I need you to be my covering because my dad had just passed away. She said, I need you to be my spiritual covering. I'm not comfortable going in here. So I said, Mama, I got you. I got you, Mama. God's got this. We believe in and trusting in God. And the nurses came out and they said, you Mama, you need to pray. She said, it's bleeding out. Had something going on. Said, you need to pray. So I got on my knees and I started storming heaven. I stormed heaven like a priest. And my mom's still here with us today. God hears our prayers when we pray. Men, we have to rise up, we have to stand up, and we have to storm heaven like the priest that we were called to be. I've held my kids, and I've cried, and I've prayed for them. And men, I want to tell you, nobody can pray for your wives, and nobody can pray for your kids with the compassion that you can pray for your kids. We need to stand up. We need to show up. We need to show up when they're they going through things. We need to be there for them because God hears our prayers when we cry to him as priest of the home. And the fifth and last principle God called us to be is a prophet. A prophet will prophesy to his children and tell them what they can be who they can become, and the potential that they have in them, inside of them. A prophet will speak to their destiny, not their predicament. It'll speak, he, a prophet, a father that prophesies will speak to his kid's destiny, not the dysfunction, the situation, or the circumstance they're in, but he'll speak to their destiny. He'll say, I know you got more than that inside of you. Get up and fight. Get up and fight. Get back in the race. You can do better than that. I see in my spirit the potential that you have for you. Get up and do better than that. A father will encourage and speak to his destiny and speak into existence the man that he was called to be. We have to prophesy on our family. We have to lay hands on them and prophesy blessings and favor and mercy and grace to follow them all the days of their life. I was 25 years old with kids when my dad laid hands on me and prophesied on me and spoke into my life the man that I was called to be. I wish he'd have done it sooner. I wish he'd have done it sooner because there was seven other years that I was a man that I needed to, to know who I was. But all my life growing up, he spoke into me. But he didn't know about this.